Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Pride of Detroit, P-O-D-Cast, PrideofDetroit.com, Pride of Detroit on Twitter, Pride of Detroit on Facebook. You know where to find us. You know the name. It's why you're here, unless you just somehow stumbled onto uh, this somehow. It could happen. You know, things happen. I'm Chris Perfett, the adequate host, your host of the Pride of Detroit, P-O-D-Cast. What does P-O-D-Cast stand for? It's a podcast, but it's also the letters of our of our website, Pride of Detroit, PrideofDetroit.com, where you can go to catch all of the latest news about the Detroit Lions. That's right, baby. Coming up on the show, we have Alex Reno, Brett Whitefield will be joining, sitting down with my man here, Jeremy Reisman, the fearless leader. Hello, Jeremy. How's it going? Little peek behind the curtain. We recorded that ahead of time, so I already know what we talk about, and you don't. Bastard, I'm trying to make the magic happen. Oh, uh, uh, I'm trying to make the magic happen in the wonderful world of podcasting, and here you are just like pulling back the curtain, and I'm like (laughs) half-dressed. Dog, just bleep that up then i guess (laughs) no no absolutely not and everything stays in that's the way the pride of detroit pod pod cast works everything stays in ryan's not here right now he's dealing with some stuff and i work the overnight shift so yeah it's a little disjointed this is not exactly where we wanted to be for our big review pod cast but we've been putting out smaller podcasts for each round here thank you jeremy for starting to learn the ways of the host and the producer to get those out i think you did unless you hired some gremlin to do it i i think i did too hopefully people actually heard it i haven't actually checked the numbers or anything but hopefully you guys enjoyed the day one and day two recap podcasts mini pods you don't really have a day three recap but that's fine like that i mean i was exhausted everyone was and i can't even like shout out by the way to everyone who went to the party uh that turned out to be a lot bigger than i thought it would ever be Yes. And shout out to Nashville for putting on one hell of a party this week. I think, Jeremy, you and I were talking about this where we got on the air here. I'm I'm not one who really gets into the draft season because I do not like people playing armchair GM a lot. It just annoys me and it's not some way that I consume this particular side of the sport. And when you think about it, the draft is basically a personnel meeting. At the end of the day, it is not something that was ever intended to be a viable product for the sports interest. But I think just because of how football starves people for nine, for (laughs) I would say seven to nine months out of the year, more than any other sport when it comes to downtime, that we kind of scrounge around for any little bits of scrap to make us. And I mean, it is a hope machine at the end of the day, too, which is also why I'm kind of 
at times disinterested with it because it is projection and hope for the future rather than actual product on the field. And I love football for what it is on the field. But you love football and you hate hope. That's that's what I'm getting from that. I'm a Lions fan, Jeremy. Th- that's all we have is hope. That's why this is our big draft. No, no. Blowout episode. <laughs> Coming up soon. We're. I mean, our big topic here in a couple minutes. I'm sorry it's taking so long to get to it. In a couple minutes, I want to talk about the big narrative from the first few days, which seems to be a lot of rumbling in Lions Land, the favorite land of the of the of Magical Kingdom. But again, Nash, like to my point, this is not something that was ever meant for TV. It, when it was meant for TV, it was never meant as something people go to. But since moving out of Radio City, City Music Hall and roaming around the country, the NFL has somehow made the draft into one big giant party. And I think the like it, it reminds me of an anime convention. The only difference is, is that it's usually outside, so the stink isn't as bad, but there's also a lot more beer. There is. I mean, I love it. I, I believe the draft set attendance records. I think it may have sent uh uh tv records again this year i mean it's a fun event i mean they put it on a network that they put it on abc ABC? which shocked me although granted i think that was probably the best i didn't get to see too much of the nfl network and espn but and maybe because i was more interested again in the story of these guys so having the college game day crew which is by (laughs) and away so much better than espn's nfl crew by far by any measure any of the nfl crew espn pale in comparison the game day set. They even have Lee Corso out there wearing a Dwayne Haskins head. Well, I, I mean, it doesn't surprise me at all that that's your your draft coverage of choice. No, but I, I think mean, that's more that, entertainment that, it, value. Whereas if you're looking for analysis, which a lot of these draft nerds what, are, and hold and on. I'm using that term affectionately, draft nerds, they're looking for more of NFL Network type of coverage. Okay, but a a you do have people there who do give you proper analysis in Kirk Curb Street. And Reese Davis is there to to host the thing. I'm not just saying this is about Corso, but at the same time, too. And I'm sorry, what analysis is Mel Kuyper going to give me that isn't just gibberish nonsense? I said NFL Network, for the record. I know. On I know. purpose. I know you did. But, but. I mean, <laughs> there there is something to be said about NFL Network's coverage over that just because they know more about where they're going, which is sometimes almost as important as the player themselves is where they're right. going. But no, I mean, back to the draft itself, it's become a giant party. You know, two years ago, Pride Detroit crew was in Philadelphia. Um, one of the two times it was in Philadelphia, then it went to Chicago. Next year, it's going to be in Vegas. And I think we're already, at the very least, it's going to be me and Bovada King 69. <laughs> so stuff's going to happen in Vegas. Very horrible, awful Hunter S. Thompson type things. But just in general, Nashville was a huge, was a huge party. It ruined some bachelorette parties while people were there, which is always fair. Um, I've heard some very, I've heard some tapes, some very shrill bachelorettes now mad and swearing that their future husbands will not be able to, they will not watch football with their future husbands, Super Bowl or anything like that, which I mean, is immediate bait for the chunk heads in the crowds like, good, I have my Sundays uninterrupted. But I mean, hey, you know, you hate to see it. Do you? I, I mean, you in love general, to see it. I love to see all of this. I love making a spectacle out of this event. Not, I mean, I hate, just like you, I kind of hate the four months in lead up to this, but the draft is actually a really, really cool event. There's, this is a, a life changing event for, for our 200 plus a lot of people. Guys, yeah. And it, it should be treated like a party because they're all having their own individual parties. And, and for fans, it's a fun event too, because yeah, we all get this bloated sense of hope that is not going to work out for like, 
seventy percent of the fan bases um, and 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 their and their draft picks. But it's a moment where all thirty-two teams can feel good about their team for a little bit, and and we're going to get into a little bit about Lions well, fans maybe not feeling so good about it. But at the same time, there there's a lot of hope that came out of this draft too, and I think I like we're we're about to get into it. But I think in general. There's still a lot of hope flowing through Detroit and and likely the other 32 on uh, 31. This is my, other yeah, this is my bridge because you said all 32 teams, and I think very early on, two of those teams stopped feeling any sense of hope whatsoever <laughs> in the soon-to-be Vegas Raiders and the New York Football Giants. Which I think, if it wasn't for those, maybe the Lions becomes a bigger story, or maybe it's just because this is Detroit and. Lions fans want to feel big and want to feel important. And I don't think a lot of them who have problems with the first couple of days, this is where we're bridging into realize that they've just been completely overshadowed by kind of the messes in New York and, and uh, Oakland soon to be Vegas. And I'm sorry. Like I know I've heard some radio guys going out there defending, like, you know, I agree with them. I don't think fans know more than day about football and scouting than Dave Gettleman or Mike Mayock, but, but, even learned guys can make some pretty boneheaded and weird mistakes and need, and need to eventually justify what kind of craziness they're on. Bob Quinn, I don't know if he needs to justify it right now, but he's definitely left people in the lurch. And I know we're going to, I mean, you're going to have your own opinion on this. And I'm just kind of trying to lay the landscape out here. Is that in Lion's Land, the magical kingdom of Lion's, there have always been two armies competing, and that is the Kool-Aiders and the Solars. And I think, I, I hate to divide it just to down to those two sides of the coin, but I think most fans fall somewhere on a spectrum between, God damn it, I hate this team and I've wasted 25 plus years of my life, yep. and yet somehow I'm still around and still need to talk about it as some sort of... Uh, I guess repentance. <laughs> and then there is the type who are sitting here loving everything and believes in their heart of hearts. The Super Bowl is just around the corner. Just, you know, you just have to believe, man. You have to believe. Hashtag one pride. Hashtag Lions Nation. Hashtag, 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 hashtag McHashtagson. <laughs> and I mean, I would say for the first two days, Jeremy, it, it, it was more tilting towards the solars getting their days in the sun. Because, and look, we're, we're going to go back and forth about TJ Hawkinson quite a bit. We've, we did the, pre- the review podcast on him, <laughs> excuse me, on him, and it's up, and it's up and down with him. And I think most people, if it wasn't for the history, I, I've come to this conclusion, if it wasn't for the history of the Lions drafting tight ends, everyone would be really good with TJ Hawkinson because he's a complete player. He's very well rounded out of Iowa. I'm working with a guy who's, you know, who went to Iowa and is talking up Font and Hawkinson and everyone else coming out of Iowa. And I mean, it's a solid pick no matter the universe. It's just that I think people are quibbling again with that position. I I think I think my disagreement is that people are like, oh, he'd be there later. I don't know. Like Hawkinson, I think people are downplaying what a prospect at tight end Hawkinson was. And it's there's no doubt that the tight end position has become so much more important to the NFL these days that you just can't you just can't sit there and wave it's like oh tight end you never take that before the second half of the first night I don't yeah. think I don't think you can say that definitively anymore yeah I, 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 I yeah sorry I was just gonna say I, th- I think you think you nailed it like not not many people are arguing against TJ Hawkinson the 
the profile, the athlete, the, the football player. They're just arguing yeah. against the, the, the placement. Eighth overall, is it worth it? I wrote a whole long article about it on Friday. Um, and, and, and I get it. I, I think there's a legitimate argument to be had. And, and some people preferred. To me, there was really only two other choices there. And mm-hmm. they were the next two guys off the board. Ed Oliver out of Houston and Devin Bush out of Michigan. And uh, maybe you could have taken those. Some people wish they would have traded down and they had offers. It's very likely that the Steelers were one of those offers because they moved up from 20 to 10 to get Devin Bush. Um, you, you can make an argument for all that, but I think when you put everything together, no one is psyched about TJ Hawkinson, but no one is like super bummed except for those like very, very, you know, Fringe the solars, fan, the, the solars, yes, that are just like, oh my god, they these, just see. This is my new project for 2019: is making this this dichotomy a thing. So, yeah. excuse me. I think the general reaction to this was just meh, like like B minus. Yeah, and I mean, even still at that time too, like I mean, I I know we were all down on Rashawn Gary. He went 12th, I think, to uh, to the Packers. Yep. Brian Burns went off the board at 16. These were all names on the defense, and I had said, even I had said before, like I really want the Lions to take defense in the first round. But if they felt Hawkinson was the best player available, I'm not going to quibble too much with that. I just, I especially, I mean, they went defense with the next four picks. So they did go defense with the next four picks, and that's kind of. That that's the funny thing is once again, kind of like with 2018, Jeremy. I think the narrative, like the first day comes, and we're like, we're I think B minus is where Quinn has been with his first day picks for a couple, yep, for a couple of years now. Be it Jared Davis or um, excuse me, uh, Frank Ragnow. Ragnow. Yeah, these these names. At least Frank Ragnow was kind of more of a name that we had to scramble around for, and then Jared Davis. People were just kind of. I honestly I can't even remember now how people reacted to Jared Davis. I think it was I think it was mixed back then too. It was because a lot of people wanted the other linebacker on the board, Reuben Foster. Which I mean, we know how that worked out. But right. we've also seen how Jared Davis has worked out too. But I mean, maybe that <laughs> provides us as a good reminder though that like yeah. yeah, TJ Hawkinson wasn't the flashy pick. Yes, Jared Davis wasn't the flashy pick, but sometimes you go for that Reuben Foster, you go for the flashy pick. Doesn't work out. So there is something to be said about the safe route that, that Bob Quinn has taken in the first round. I think there was just a little bit of an expectation with a top 10 pick. Maybe you go a little more flashy. I wouldn't even say it's the safe pick. It's, it's just not the hive mind pick. And that's not to denigrate the hive mind. Sometimes the hive mind of the NFL viewer is right. It's just that I think we, we've talked about this before is that once NFL Twitter f- decides like these are the guys I want. These are the guys mm-hmm. that we know are good. This is the definitive ranking of Josh Allen, Ed Oliver, so on and so forth on in ad infinium. That that any deviation from such freaks people out. And I think, yep. Funny enough, I mean, I'm going to bag on the Daniel Jones pick for for the Giants all day long because Daniel Jones was not good at Duke. I think his last game he lost by like 50 points to Wake Forest. But I I think I think again it wasn't that New York took a quarterback, it's that we had been conditioned to think about other good quarterbacks. Maybe Daniel Jones turns out to be good. I don't know. But it it, it the the backlash comes immediately. I think actually the better example is the Raiders taking Cleland Farrell. Yeah. Which I mean, I still think is a bad pick, but it's it's definitely one of those picks that goes against the consensus of everyone who is a fan of what their rankings are. And right. like, yeah, Hawkinson, Davis, Ragnow, 
those first rounds kind of make people uneasy a little bit about the Lions. At least the local fans, usually on the national level from the NFL networks or the ESPN, they're like, okay, that's a solid pick. But they never really go too much farther than that. It's clear that they like the guy, but I don't think they are as invested. I mean, I'm going to say they're not as invested in what the Lions need, but I'm saying that not as a, as a hyper negative either. Sometimes taking a step back and looking at it from, from a national level can, I think, would be good for some Lions fans, especially on certain topics like how does the draft go? Or where does Matt Stafford rank up as a quarterback in this league? Getting that national opinion, it can be good. It can be good to get rid of the Detroit versus everybody mood. But then, Jeremy, I think where it's always gone in this narrative for Bob Quinn and the Lions is that day two comes and uh, there's a lot of shit hitting the fan. There's a lot of shit hitting the fan as we start to get into the weeds, but we still know some of the guys. And this was a particularly curious draft because there were some guys who lasted out quite a while. And taking Jelani Tavai, Tavai, excuse me, I'm going to get his name. Of I, I said I, I could get his name, and I think I just screwed it up there. But that's fine. I'm sick. Jelani Tavai out of Hawaii. Let's face it. How many Lions fans are up watching Mountain West football with Hawaii? Not many. And yeah. And I think that that was the Kool-Aider response about Tavai is like you just haven't watched the tape and I know from what I remember he kind of posted a really middling RAS score from Kent from Kentley Platty's metric and but at the same time I know some people have gone back and watched the tape and are kind of like okay that's not too bad but this is again where I think some people would say this feels like a stretch but again as we talked before some fans already have their their set uh, rankings and do not want to deviate from that at all. But I mean, what do you think about this? Because we've got we've got Tavai and then uh, Will. Harris. Forgive me, I'm blanking on his no Harris. I know his last name. I'm forgetting Dwayne Harris. Will, Will, Will Harris. Harris. Will Harris. Excuse me. And then Will Harris in the third round. And I think Will Harris was a little less people afraid. But then for whatever reason, we're talking about the second rounder after this draft. Which only, which we've done this, we've done this before with T's Tabor, and this has always struck me as odd. Is that where we zoom in for criticism on the Lions is on the second round? But maybe you can make heads or tails of this because I mean, unlike me, unlike me, you've watched the third third day as well. Well, here here's the thing. I mean, Jelani Tavai is going to be the name in this draft, and it it has nothing to do with him just so happening to be a, a second round pick. It's just this is a guy no one had heard of in the second round. When, when yeah, Hawaii, are, Hawaii home games start at like 1 a.m. Eastern time. Right. But I mean, I mean, this is not just local Lions fans not knowing who these guys. This is like national guys who are putting this guy in the sixth and seventh round thinking like, yeah, I've seen him. No. And his production in Hawaii, modest. You know, you look at his stats, you look at. Has some injury PFF history trades, as well, I believe. Some, yeah. I mean, he, that's why his potentially he didn't work out at the combine because of the shoulder injury, didn't work out at his own pro day. He had to work at a second pro day. So there's injury concerns. There's not a lot of great tape out there. PFF grade isn't very good. Um, and those are the first thing that ever, everyone sees. All the fans see all that. They don't see tape. They don't see, you know, fit. They see, oh, look, 4.13 RAS. Oh, look, not a lot of tackles. Oh, look, PFF hates him. 
and and oh look, all these draft guys say sixth rounder, seventh rounder, fifth rounder. And so as a fan, you see all that, and, and I don't blame them. I don't have all this information either, but this is why I never get worked up during the draft is because I don't know. There's no way I'm going to watch 260 prospects. And so the lines are going to take some guys I don't know. Lines are going to take some guys that maybe some media guys don't agree with. And so my version is just, hey, man, let's sit and wait. Let's at least wait until Bob Quinn approaches the, the bench and, and tells his, sto- his side of the story. And so um, that's, that's not the way most football fans work. And so this is the moment in when the draft turned against him. And then you, you take a guy in the second round, Will Harris, good RAS, speedy guy, athletic guy, could help this defense a lot, but also not in a big position of need. Last year, they took a safety kind of in the same mold with, with, uh, sorry, Tracy Walker. Mm, so yeah. you, I mean, at this point, it's just building with, with Lions fans. TJ Hawkinson is a meh. And then Jelani Tavai sends people into a rage. And then Will Harris doesn't really do anything to, to ease people's mind, especially since there are some good corners on the board, at least perceived good corners on the board. When the lines are on the clock there in the third round, they trade up in the third round. So people are like, Ooh, maybe they're going to get one of our guys. They don't. And and yeah, I so, see like I see like Justin Lane went two picks after the Will Harris pick here, right? And that was a definitely a popular pick for for some Lions fans. So we're at the end of day three, and Lions fans are jumping off cliffs like lemmings at this point. Prior to <laughs> Detroit, I had to moderate the hell out of things at the end of day two, and I was tired as hell. And you're lucky I didn't ban you. I'm looking right into a camera right now that's not even on. I'm looking at you, whoever's listening. You're lucky I didn't ban Dude, you. That listener thing. at home. <laughs> Dad is disappointed in you. Yeah. But, but yeah, but yeah, this is where I know you're going to go. Day three. And maybe this, I mean, this, the, first of all, this happens every year. People get mad at the pick the next morning. They feel better. They, they rationalize the pick for themselves, whether that's right or wrong. Time will tell. I do think that, you know, time away from the pick does help you kind of see things at all in all, you know, the whole plan. But the Lions come out, they, they get a defensive lineman, they get an edge guy, who I know you think the Lions needed an edge guy. This guy can kind of play a whole bunch of different positions in Austin Bryant. But then the fifth round comes, they get Amani Oruarie. And if you've been listening to any of our podcasts or listening or following us on Twitter, you know he was a big favorite. Some people even picked him in the first round. Some people liked him, the Lions to grab him in the second round. So, I mean, this is where I think at least, you know, the, the sunshiny... Uh, Kool-Aid drinkers are 100% back on board, whereas the SOLers are like, all right, well, w- well, what's wrong with him? Why did he fall to the fifth round? Yeah, and, and I, think, I think just at the end of the day, like <clears throat> having all this massive draft media industry is cool, but at the same time, it has made us very much so take their rankings over like, I mean, who knows? Who knows what Oruari or Tavai was was on the boards for the where they were on the boards for these scouts. Maybe the scout right. community had just gotten so so different or diffused, and maybe it did take Mike Mayock and John Gruden throwing all their scouts out because <laughs> oh my god, maybe more people want Kalel and Farrell. But there's definitely some case here, and it's fascinating about that grade for Oruari because I mean you could make the case that like if you reversed where Oruari. And excuse me here, because again, I've got some crap in my throat. It was making it really hard to pronounce this. And Tavai, if you had reversed those positions, so Tavai in the fifth, Oruarie in the second, I think people would be happy about that, especially since it's a corner. Absolutely. I mean, that, that'd be a decent enough draft. 
credit credit to John Whitaker for throwing that out there um, because he, you know, he was there with with everyone else, like all the negative fans after round four. He's he literally tweeted out, "There's nothing in this draft that the Lions can do in these last three rounds that can make me feel good about this draft class." And then they did the one thing that made him feel better about the entire draft <laughs> class. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know, I know. John, it was on the negative side for this for this draft for sure. But yeah, I. That that's that's kind of what makes this draft right now fascinating. And in a couple of minutes here, we're going to bring in Alex and and Brett, and they're going to sit down and talk with Jeremy while I deal with my throat and everything. Or as Jeremy has revealed to you, it's pre-recorded. Yes. So we, we're going to break down you, each you, and you every broken, pick. You broken kayfabe. Sorry. Uh, no, no, that's fine. Kayfabe's dead anyway. You know this if you watch wrestling. But. <clears throat> It does leave this draft in an interesting in an interesting light because, I mean, I, we're we're definitely going to keep hearing about this for a while, right? About Tavai and I mean the Ororarie thing kind of does redeem it. If you were a fan of Ororarie, I don't, yep. I don't know. So, yeah, I don't even know how you would even grade this draft. And I know, like again, your your point is that we have to get this off right away. This is our industry now. We have to get the reactions off right away because that's what's demanded of us, and that's what people are going to do. That's why the fans go there so they can get on get on camera and react, emote to the camera when the pick is made right there and then. That for me is the pure review of the draft. That's all it should be: is what how fans react into the camera it, and like <laughs> it certainly is the best content that's for sure it is it, it really is the best content we should have more of it and i think if people are listening let's start preparing for 2020 people <laughs> but you know how the, this is gonna go the one thing I, I can say you know just kind of bringing it all together about this draft and, and maybe what you think about bob quinn and, and all that is that this was a very needs-based draft and i go looking at the roster right now and I can't tell you about the individual talent that they picked up, but in terms of like the bodies that they have, the way they constructed a, ro- a roster really makes sense. They needed a tight end. They obviously got one. They needed linebacker depth. They got one. They needed a cornerback. They got one in the fifth round. I don't know if he's going to start or not. They got wide receiver. They needed depth there. Um, and the one spot that maybe you say that they didn't get was guard. And um, again, I'm going to have to pull the curtain back a little bit here. By the time we recorded this first segment, the Lions signed Bo Benshaw from Wisconsin as an undrafted free agent. He hadn't done so when we recorded the first other two uh, segments. So, uh, this is time warp. I know, right? Um, this is uh, this is essentially uh, God. What's the go name on, of that movie? Never mind. Um, the, whatever. Um, but anyways, Shaw is a guy that maybe could even contend for the right guard spot. So, like again, we're kind of seeing this progression that we see every year with Lions fans, and then it's like. Oh God, I hate this draft. Wait, it's actually okay. Okay, maybe it's actually good. Wait, is this great? <laughs> 16 and 0 in Super Bowl. Yeah, exactly. Yep. So by next week, we're all going to be talking about how this team is Super Bowl bound and, and all that. And maybe even by the end of the podcast. Ooh, is that a teaser? Hmm. Yeah, it's this is the stages of of draft grief, I think. <laughs> yes. I would say the one takeaway though is like, I mean, I, I think the shine has been coming off Bob Quinn the past few years. He got some of it back with what he did to get snacks. But I mean, again, like he's got questions about how he's been drafting. I'm I'm not saying that, that that's my opinion. That's not, but that's how some fans writers are going to approach uh, this front office moving forward is that now it's been a couple of questionable, uh, questionable, but redeemable 
drafts and we'll just have to see. We'll just have to see how it all pans out. It's uh, definitely give us a lot of uh, bullets in our chamber as we hit May here. And Meltdown May is around the corner for those of you who like Twitter. And other than that, we have to figure out ways to keep ourselves entertained. And we're going to be doing some fun stuff over the summer to keep you listening to the Pride of Detroit POD cast. But I think I am going to shut up here and drink more of my tea to get this crap out of my throat. I've got like a lump of pollen back here or something. I don't know. And we're going to let Jeremy take the reins here as I prepare him more and more to be adequately hosting part-time. And he's going to sit down with Alex Reno, which, I mean, my God, we got Alex Reno on two podcasts now in a, in a calendar year. Yeah, so something bad's I, about to happen. Like the other shoe has he, to drop he might, now. He might come back as as a regular co-host. Whoa. Like that would be that would be bizarre if nothing else. And then Brett Whitefield from Pro Football Focus. So stick around. We will be right back on the Pride of Detroit POD cast with those guys. More breakdown for the draft. And we are back with our Pride of Detroit 2019 Draft Review Podcast. And for the second segment, we had to bring in a couple guests, a couple draft experts, as I like to call them. Maybe they're a little bit more humble about themselves and don't call them that. But we've got two guests with us. Our first being Alex Reno, our own resident draft expert at Alex underscore Reno. How you doing, buddy? How you feeling after this draft? I'm doing well. I'm feeling well. How's it going, man? I'm I'm good. Thanks for joining us. And another familiar face or voice that you may hear is also Brett Whitefield from Pro Football Focus at PFF underscore Brett, if I'm not incorrect. That is correct. Nailed it. How are you doing today? I'm good. I'm ready for some sleep and uh, I can stop being mad online now. So that's nice. <laughs> well, let, let's get into it. Let's get into our, our general feelings on this overall draft because we, we just talked at length about our personal feelings. But, uh, you know, as guys that maybe spend a little bit more time before the draft getting to know these guys, um, you guys maybe have a little bit more of an informed opinion. Um, as, much as, as much draft crunching as I've, I've tried to do in the past 24 hours um, probably doesn't make up for the months and months of work that you both put into this. So, so let's start with you, Brett. You, you hinted at maybe a little bit of anger uh, after this year's draft. Is that how you feel right now regarding the Lions Hall? No, I wouldn't say I'm angry. Um, I kind of just meant leading up to the draft. I, you know, I was getting very stressed out and and getting in myself into some fights online. So I'm glad that I don't have to do that anymore because the draft is over. Right. Um, but, so then, what? Yeah. What is your your general overall thought then? Yeah, I think it, overall it was you know <laughs> it was a pretty good draft. I it's hard to say. Like I I think the general approach of you know, let's pass the ball better and and stop the pass better is a great approach to any draft. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's some suspect value pretty much up and down their their draft hall, which is, is what I think most fans are going to be concerned about. Right. But overall, I, I like the the theory behind the draft. I just don't necessarily agree with the players necessarily or where they were selected. So, well, let, can I dive a little bit into that because I, I think yeah. a lot of people look at this draft hall and think maybe they're they're better at run defending and and you mentioned that maybe they got better in the pass uh passing game and 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 pass defense but you got i mean even on offense you look at a guy like 
TJ Hawkinson. Obviously, he's he's a receiving threat there, but I think they also value him for for the value that he brings in the run offense. So so where do you see the the passing defense and offense value that the Lions got in this year's draft? Yeah, so like the two things they did, I would say the poorest last year were passing the ball and stopping the pass. Mm-hmm. And right off the bat, I mean the the skill set of or sorry the skill position cupboard was pretty bare when the, the year ended. Part sure. of that was because Marvin Jones is on the on the shelf and they traded tape. But so going out and, and actually drafting the top offensive weapon in the draft, you know that's a, I think that's a good thing. I think it's it, they're thinking the right way as far as hey let's get Stafford a guy I can throw the ball to. I don't know that tight end is a super valuable position. So again, it's like, yes, I like the idea of getting a, a really nice weapon for Matt. I'm not sure tight end was the way to do that, but I guess we'll find out. Um, as far as like the um, defensive backs I got, I mean, they, I, I liked both defensive backs I got. And I think, you know, when you look at the grand, grand scheme of the, the offseason, they added a bunch of guys. I mean, presumably at least four guys that are going to, you know, be rostered next year, maybe five with, um, Coleman in free agency, Rashawn Melvin in free agency, Andrew Adams in free agency, and then they went and drafted another safety in Will Harris and Amane Urarie. And I think that's uh that's a really nice step to kind of re refurbishing that secondary that was so bad last year. Absolutely. And uh just the fact that you mentioned Amani Urarie means I need to throw it back to Reno. Uh, Alex, hey, what are your overthought what are your overall thoughts on the draft and and if you want, take take a minute to do a victory lap on on lines grabbing Oruwarie. Am I really doing a victory lap though? Because I got him in the fifth round, and I had him at like fifteen on my overall board. So I hey. don't know what that says about my board. But well, do a victory lap that he's in Detroit, and now that they can oh, come yeah. for a lesser price. I was extremely happy with Oruwarie in the fifth round. Um, a lot of people were feeling pretty bad about the draft leading up into that pick. I was feeling kind of okay. I kind of understood the thinking behind it. And then we drafted him, and I was feeling great. Um, I had the draft overall at about a B. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was feeling pretty good about it. I think we got some some good starters, some good developmental prospects, um, some guys that fit into some roles here. So overall, I think they did what they wanted to do. And after a full offseason, I don't feel like we have too many glaring needs. Maybe the offensive line. Sure. But, I mean, that's pretty much all you can really ask for. Yeah, and and that's that's something I mentioned in the first segment. Hopefully, uh, is is that especially on defense? Like, uh, this team is really loaded now. Not only in in starting positions, but I feel like their depth is pretty well, you know, buffed out. Especially, I mean, Brett mentioned the secondary specifically. Like, they added so many different players there, and not only are they they're all kind of versatile, but like they can also all back each other up and the lines have, you know, nickel options and they have outside corner options. And um, that's something that I think people thought last year that the defense may be good, but they didn't think that they were deep. And now I feel like there's at least a player behind every single starter that, that could jump in. Yeah. I'm really loving our secondary right now. And I think we have a lot of safeties that can line up in man coverage, do a lot of different things and give Matt Patricia a lot of different options out there. So I'm, I'm pretty excited to see how our secondary is going to fare heading into this year. All right, let's jump into some specific picks here because uh, I, I definitely, there are definitely some interesting picks there, as Brett mentioned, maybe not as valuable as where they went. And I think, you know, kind of the linchpin to this entire draft class uh, starts and ends with the Lions' second round pick, 
Jelani Tavai out of uh, Hawaii. Um, guys, what was your initial reaction to that pick, and and how are you feeling now, uh, 48 hours removed from from that kind of shocking choice? Yeah, so that I was actually sitting in Avengers Endgame when that pick came across. <laughs> okay. I was literally right at the end, like right at the climax of the movie, and I was like, what in the absolute hell just happened? <laughs> And uh, so admittedly, I actually didn't do a full pre-draft evaluation of Tavai myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I know PFF, he was fairly low on our board. Um, but I went back and I watched his tape that night as soon as I got home. And, you know, I was pleasantly surprised, actually. I, my, I guess my biggest issue with the pick is anytime you're getting into a battle, chasing a guy around with one or two other teams maybe that early, it's like, is he really special enough to, to transcend that? Or would it probably have been better just to pass and take somebody else and let and let you know the Patriots and Dolphins or whoever fight over him? I'm that's kind of what I'm concerned about is just the 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 value doesn't seem to be there. But I do I do like what I saw from Tavai on tape. Yeah do you do you think it's worrisome at all that so they said that there were about two guys two or three guys every year that kind of fit what they're looking for in a linebacker? Is that like kind of scare you at all? Because I feel like. That almost sounds like there's something wrong with your scheme and there should be more players out there that can fit it. <laughs> I think the candidness there is is nice. I I bet you if you went around the league and, and you know dove into specific seams, there would be more uh you know, more positions like that per team where they there's a very certain type that they look for. Linebacker obviously is the one for Patricia. Yeah, that just kind of caught me off guard when I heard that quote. But um, the, the, the pick itself, um, I've kind of come around to it a little bit. At first when I saw the, uh, the testing, which a lot of people didn't think he actually tested, but apparently he tested about two weeks after his pro day, still with probably a bad shoulder. So I'm not really too worried about the bad testing because he didn't really have a whole lot of time to prepare with a bad shoulder. Um, and obviously Brett and I both watched some of the tape and he looked a little more athletic than he did with his testing numbers. A lot, a lot smoother than the testing numbers, uh, would tell you. So I'm feeling a little better about the pick, but I still don't love the value there. Yeah. Yeah, Sorry. sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Uh, just quickly on, on the Quinn's comments and all that. And it, it does kind of seem strange that maybe he has such a very specific type, but, he also followed up on a, on a great interview with Tori Petri after the draft saying, you know, this is kind of, we're just kind of going in the opposite direction that college football is going, you know, college football is looking for younger, faster, smaller linebackers while we want to kind of remain that big bulky threatening defense. And I'm, I'm trying to see what was the specific word that he used uh, where college football is getting smaller. The NFL is still a big man's game. And so mm-hmm. part, part of me, is like, okay, that makes sense. But part of me is also like, is that really where the NFL is right now? Isn't the NFL kind of trending more towards college these days? Like, obviously, I think the NFL has room for different strategies and and maybe a more spread offense type where you need to counter with, with fast linebackers makes sense. But I think, you know, the old style football still works. But it does also strike me as a little bit stubborn. Am I wrong there? Um... I I kind of was thinking the same thing, but I don't know if I really have an answer to where the NFL is right now. I don't really. I think Brett might have a better idea of where the where it's trending now. 
I mean, for me, it's all about skill sets. So mm-hmm. is it like in a vacuum? Does it seem stubborn? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think it does. I think linebackers over the course of the last 10 years have definitely gotten smaller, even at the NFL level. Right. But when yeah. you're going to ask a guy like Tavai or New England, it was Dante Hightower or Kyle Van Noy, you're going to ask a guy to be good in three phases of the game, you know, run stopping, pass rushing, and adding something as a coverage defender. I think there's some size required to that. Um, and it's from an analytical standpoint, it's not necessarily ideal that Tavai projects as a as a good run stopper. Uh, I think there's a lot more to our grades uh, with his game than than just being a run stopper. But um, I think if you want a guy to, to contribute in all three phases like that, you're you know you're going to have to have some size. Now you, you both kind of said that when you went back onto the tape, you felt a little bit better about the pick. What what specifically did you see there? Did you see his ability to maybe drop back into coverage? which uh, is, is something that hasn't really been highly toted for him or, or what was it that specifically kind of made you feel a little, little bit better about this pick? For me, when, when I dove in, I was really shocked mm-hmm. at the way Hawaii used him. Like just looking at our data on him, I'm assuming this is a guy who's, you know, up in like a Sam linebacker up on the line of scrimmage, defending the run, setting the edge on every play. Um, and that just wasn't what I saw. They used him in space a ton. Yeah, um, and that really struck me as like, hey, they believe in this guy's athleticism more than his testing suggests they should, right. which is a good thing. Um, so while he did, you know, he graded better as a run defender than anything else, I think some of that is just the way they used him. Like, there's several examples of teams running eleven personnel and spreading them out, or even, you know, going four wide with a slot receiver as a like a you know athletic tight end, and they would have. Jelani out there covering a slot receiver or a tight end that speaks volumes to me that they'd rather keep their base package on the field and trust him than put an extra DB in the game to cover one of those guys so that was really promising and he has some really good reps in in those situations as well in coverage and I just thought um, you know his hips were like super oily for a big guy and that really really impressed me and there's not many of them because you know he has a 250 pound linebacker out there covering a slot receiver or a tight end but the ones he does have on tape, they really pop, and I, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I mean, I pretty much 100% agree with Brett. Um, I think he has some potential as a pass rusher, too. I thought he had some pretty good burst on tape, a um, little bit of bend. I think they're going to use him there maybe a little bit as well. Um, definitely, like Brett was saying, I thought he was very smooth in open space, um, very very fluid mover. So I'm excited. I want to I see him in training camp. All right, let's uh, move a little bit back in time. Let's go to the first night of drafts. Talk about TJ Hawkinson because both of you guys were at the the draft party and uh, actually watched the video of of the the draft party when the pick was made. And a couple times they cut to you, Alex, and you just kind of look straight into the camera and just went, "Meh." I was just kind of shrug, you know. Yeah. I mean, I, I gave it immediately a C grade, and I think I bumped it up a little bit to a B minus. Um, okay. I mean, like I said in my draft grades, like I've always, I've always maintained that I was okay with the uh, with TJ Hawkinson on the Lions. It wasn't sexy. Um, he's he's a good football player. He wasn't even my top tight end in the draft, but I still think he's a good player. He addresses a big need, and uh, I think the biggest thing for me is that we turned down a trade down. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Devin Bush was on the board, who I liked a lot a lot more in that spot. But hey, man. Not going to always agree with the Lions boards, but still addressing a big need, and we got a good player. So, would you have taken the deal that who was it the the Seahawks that dropped down, or who who moved from ten to twenty? 
the Steelers went the, from that's 20, right, 20 to 10 to, yeah. to get Bush. Would you have taken essentially that same deal considering it was only two more spots, which was basically a, what, a second round and next year's third, or maybe have that reversed a third. And next year's third? Yeah. I'm guessing when Schefter tweeted what he tweeted, that's exactly what he was talking about was this. Yeah. So I'm just assuming that that was the deal they turned down. And yeah, I would have, t- I would have taken that personally. Yeah, I'd probably have to see it again, but I mean, I just want to acquire more picks, and there was a lot of good players that fell, so naturally I would just say yes. Is there a guy deep in that first round that you would have preferred, that, like if the lines were there, you would have been like, okay, yeah, that's that would have been a great first round pick? Uh, it's hard to say off the top of my head right now. I know Burns went about 16, so he yeah. probably wouldn't have been there, but I would have loved to have traded down maybe like five or six picks and got him, but... Um, yeah, I'm sure I, I, there were some good players still that I would have liked. Ironically, Fant. Noah Noah Fant was the 20th pick. Yeah, right. so. gonna, right. I was going to say, yeah, Fant. Um, that was interesting. There were some guys that, like, if they wanted a pass catcher, like Marquise Brown was one of my guys. He was my personal wide receiver one from day one. Um, and I know the Liz Frank kind of scared some people, but clearly the NFL, you know, agreed that hey, this guy's something special. If his foot can get right, then then he's going to be awesome. So. Um, there were some DBs that went, you know, and that like Darnell Savage was the 21st pick. I would have liked him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even Montez Sweat at the 20 range is a lot better than eight. Yeah, I think he went 26. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I'm more comfortable. Yeah, there's a bunch of guys I would have liked. DeAndre yeah. Baker, Greedy Williams, any of those co- other corners. Um, yeah. Yeah, so I, I think at the crux of the the TJ Hawkinson debate um, is mostly not not much, there's not many questions about the the player himself. The, you know, there, some people say his his blocking is a little bit overstated and and things like that. But I think for most people, he was easily the most well rounded tight end in this class. The question is just value value at eighth overall pick. Was he that much better than some of the other tight ends they could have gotten later in the draft? Was he that much of a transformative offensive talent that he's worth a top 10 pick? It's a debate that's going to rage on for the next four or five years. And and one, we probably still won't know a a clear answer on, but in the end uh, it's just something we're going to have to wait on. And maybe they could have gotten more value with a trade trade down. Maybe they could have gotten more value uh, out of, out of a different pick, whether it's, you know, defensive tackle on the board or, or a, a wide receiver or anything like that. It's just something we're not going to really know. And we might, on. and we might get ourselves another, uh, Ebron, Aaron Donald comparison with, uh, Ed Oliver Hawk and Ed Oliver. Yep. Yep. It's possible wait for that. All right. Let's, uh, let's take a break here. When we come back, we're going to talk about more of the picks, just not, not just the first two. And then we're going to get into some UDFA talk because Brett's got some knowledge that I think you guys are going to want to hear. So we'll be right back. And we're back with the third and final segment of our Pride of Detroit NFL Draft Review episode. We're here still with Brett Whitefield and Alex Reno. Let, let's get into the day two, day three stuff. Um, let's talk Austin Bryant. We haven't talked about Austin Bryant yet. Um, defensive end out of Clemson. Uh, the fourth guy off the board off, off of that defensive line in this draft. Um, guys, what's your first impression of Austin Bryant? How specifically, how does he fit in this defense? Because a lot of people, I think, are wondering, um, you know, he, he played kind of off the edge there. But 
is he going to move as a as a down linebacker? Is he going to be the jack guy? Is he going to potentially be you know a, a defensive tackle? Uh, there, there's some talk of that as well. Um, let's start with you, Brett. Where where, where do you see see Austin Bryant fitting into this team's plans? <laughs> yeah, so Bob Quinn didn't really do us any favors of trying to figure <laughs> right. this out because he right. was like, yeah, he'll play. We'll play edge and outside linebacker and defensive tackle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so yeah, basically what we all thought when he was drafted. But he so this guy, he reminds me, he's not nearly as athletic as Deshaun Hand was. But he mm-hmm. reminds me of like that length, that you know, that size, height profile that Hand had. It's very very similar in my opinion. Mm-hmm. I think Bryant me- measured like six six and two seventy, but I know two seventy was light for him from everything I've read. Um Earlier in his career in Clemson, he played over 280. And you can, I think you can really see that. So if he, my guess is they're going to want him to either lose more weight and play, you know, that jack spot in the, in more of like a, a rush edge spot, or they're going to ask him to put some weight back on and kind of be that big end. I think he, I realistically see him being kind of like um, Romeo Aquara's backup possibly. So very, very similar in like length and size and, and even play style. So. That makes sense to me. And uh, he could kick inside on passing downs and try to rush on the inside. He wasn't a very, um, like a snap-by-snap snap, you know, standpoint. He wasn't a very productive pass rusher in college, but he did compile some, some good raw stats. So Patricia probably thinks he's got something to work with there. Yeah, I think his PRP was like a six, which can yeah. you confirm that's not really good at all? <laughs> Yeah, that's not, it's not very good. Part of that is he was playing some four technique, like head up over a tackle a yeah. lot, and it's a little bit, a little bit harder. You know, they used Farrell and and uh, Wilkins more as those the pass rushers there. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't want to make excuses for him and right. you know get you overly excited for the pick, but I think there is some some issue with the the scheme there and why his production was so low. Um, are you at all concerned that I mean, I don't know how much tape you've watched, but when I was watching, he just didn't really stand out a whole lot. Are you a little concerned that with the rest of the Clemson line just being super dominant and helpful that he wasn't really to cap- wasn't really able to capitalize off of a whole lot? Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's fair to say. It's also interesting that Clemson just has so much talent on their D-line and they're able to and he was able to play, you know, 650 snaps plus two years in a row. So there's something to say about that as well. But yeah, I, I would agree that there's there's some concern he wasn't more productive with all those other guys around. Yeah. He's got such a weird body type too, like extremely long, long leg. It looks like he almost doesn't even have a torso. He's got such <laughs> long like it's it's insane. Like he doesn't look like a real human. I don't know. Well, to me, it, like what what limited tape I've seen of him so far, those long long arms certainly stand out. Like he's able yeah. to kind of like you know, for, forgive using the, the overused term with Lions defense, but he, he can set the edge pretty well, just kind of keeping the offensive tackles and tight ends at bay and, and just kind of like peering into the backfield while he's holding this guy two yards back. Um, although, like you said, he, he doesn't he doesn't seem to really have the pass rushing skills that go along with that sometimes. Um, but but another thing that kind of intrigued me is he seemed to to be a lot more efficient when he's playing off the ball. And that's why it was kind of surprising for me to hear to say Bob Quinn, he's basically going to play everywhere along the defensive line and off the ball. Because to me, it seems like he might be a more natural fit in that Jack position. But uh, again, the pass rushing thing is, is an issue there. Yeah. I felt like when watching him, um, he didn't really hold up too well um, in the trenches, but I felt like when he, they kind of put him out in space or at least, on wide runs when he's moving laterally, he looked like he was doing a lot better of a job there holding his blocks and 
um, making plays in the backfield. All right, let's uh, let's move on to some of these day three picks. Um, Lions go wide receiver, running back, tight end, getting Matthew Stafford a lot of a lot of weapons there. Um, but obviously, we're talking about sixth and seventh round guys. Um, out of Travis Fulgham, Ty Johnson, Isaac Nauta, um, which one was your guys' favorite pick, and and who do you see maybe? a threat to not only make the roster, but maybe give some offensive contributions to the team this year. I really like Fulgham. I thought that pick was really good. He was one of the, I mean, this was a loaded receiver class. Um, and, you know, coming from a small school, I, I kind of knew it'd be hard for him to stand out amongst mm-hmm. this group, but he still did. I think he, I want to say he ended up pretty high on our top uh, 250. Yeah. 128 on the PFF board. So, I mean, the guy's got talent. He didn't test overly well, but you can, if you put on really? the tape, you can see. Yeah, I don't, is that, I isn't that right? Well, I think he had, I mean, I think he had like an eight RAS. He didn't test well long speed wise, but I think he tested That's pretty what it was. well. That's right. Yeah, I think he ran yeah. a four, five, eight, but he tested pretty well, like explosively and agility wise. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, you're right. So, if you, when you put on the tape, though, you see a guy who has just great size, length, um, and, really good explosiveness and that combined with his route running he's just he's a really good deep threat and a really good red zone threat and uh, he didn't have many opportunities to do that against power five schools but the one he did get this year he put up 188 yards on a pretty good virginia tech defense yeah uh, i was hoping you'd talk a little about a little bit more about nada because i know you like him a lot but because my answer is going to be fulgham as well um i i watched him a little bit last night and one thing that I really like about him and one thing or one reason I believe that they really wanted him was because he's also a really good run blocker. I think his run blocking grade on PFF was like in the seventies for like three years straight or something like that. And when I was watching him, I found a couple of clips where he was looking pretty tenacious, driving dudes into the ground. So um, I just, I just love his, his toughness. I think he caught a lot of deep passes too, even though he's didn't really test well with the 40, I think he could be a pretty decent deep threat with his, uh, Vertical route running and size. Realistically speaking, do you, either of you think he can make an impact in his rookie year? Uh, I think he'll make the team. Um, I think if he makes an impact, it'd pro- probably because Marvin is still dealing with some nagging injuries or something. I don't really see him. Um, I mean, this is just me, but I don't really see him getting a whole lot of reps otherwise. Yeah, I think. Yeah. No, I think he'll play a little bit. I mean, I don't think he'll. He'll supplant any of any of the top three right now as a starter, but I think he's a really solid wide receiver four. But more importantly, like one of the themes this this offseason was let's get better in the red zone. And so now yeah. you've added you've added Hawkinson, you've added Jesse James, who's really long and you know, pretty good on contested catches. Now you you've added Fulgham. So I, I think if he makes a big impact, it's probably gonna be in the red zone. Uh, him and Galladay with, you know, like a twelve personnel set with James and Hawkinson is pretty pretty Formidable, formidable targets for Stafford to throw to. Yeah, and and you know if he if he breaches that potential, that's great value in the sixth round, right? I mean, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I th- I think some people had him as high as a third round pick. Dean Brugler, I think, had him in the fourth round. So in fact, the Lions could grab him in the sixth, show that you know they were probably sticking with their board there. And while wide receiver, an outside receiver, wasn't a huge need of this team, um, if they could grab a guy that could develop into a red zone threat in the sixth round, um, that's that's great value. Um, let, let's go into Nada a little bit since Reno kind of teased a little bit. What, what do you have to say about Nada, Brett? What, what do you like about that pick, uh, the tight end out of Georgia? Well, he, so his tape is just really, really good. I'm, yeah. Early on in the draft process, 
um, you know, he was kind of considered to be like a, you know, late day two, early day three kind of pick. And, you know, he tanked, he just completely bombed the combine. Right. So in this really, you know, deep tight end class, I think it says a lot that he was considered to be, you know, right in the thick of the top of that group. And then just with the bad combine, he totally plummeted. He was in no man's land on a couple of his measurables. Um, when he ran you, like when a you, five flat on his 40 yeah. or something like that. That's not good at all. Yeah, it was, it was really, really bad. But when you put on the tape, this is a guy that, you know, he was pretty productive as a receiver. He's a five-star recruit coming out of high school. I know that's something like fans probably don't care about or even PFF for that matter, but I guarantee you that's something that Matt and Bob like. You know, this is a highly sought after guy and he, he played at a high level, you know, at a, at a top school in the country. And, you know, those are kind of like feathers in the cap, you know, when you're building that character profile. So, yeah, I think, uh, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was just going to say, yeah, and Quinn said himself, like, it's never a bad thing to add another Georgia Bulldog. So I think he just really loves adding those SEC guys. Yeah, he dips up that well often. Another underrated value with Nauta, too, is, um, you know, this team brought back the fullback position last year and they, Georgia never really used him this way because he was such a good tight end for them. But the way he's built, you know, he's not super tall, not super long, but and he's not very heavy. I think there's a chance they could, you know, get him some reps as a, as a fullback and maybe even carry four tight ends as opposed to, you know, a fullback. So Nick yeah. Bodden it could be on the, the roster bubble here. He's on Ooh. notice. Ooh. Yeah. Take. Do either of you have an explanation for the the hor- I mean, it's not just a bad combine. It's it's awful and and one of the worst ever. Yeah, if his tape isn't matching that, where where do you see the disconnect? Did, did he just not prepare well for these scores? Because I mean, he improved a little bit on his pro day, but not by a ton. I mean, I I thought <laughs> I'll go ahead. Sure, I, I thought that he didn't look very athletic on tape. Honestly, okay. I wasn't. I wasn't surprised with the bad testing. I was a little bit surprised with how putrid like it really was though. Like it wasn't just bad, it was terrible. Um I know Brett thought he looked a little better uh or a little more athletic on tape. I mean, if you're running behind like safeties in the SEC, you got to be at least a little faster, at least a little deceptively fast. So, um it w- it was surprising. Um I don't know. I really don't really have much of an explanation for why. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with most of what you said, Alex. I don't think he looks like this great athlete on tape. You know, if you want to pull out every cliche in the book about Isaac Nauta, you can probably find it, you know, gritty and tough and, you know, he just he, high fo- high football IQ kind of guy. I That's definitely – all those things are, you know, a big part of his game. Um, he's got – gets down that mean streak in the run game where he just wants to bury guys and – Stuff like that. So I don't think he looks like a great athlete, but there, there's some times where he's running up the seam or on those two-way goes, those corner-to-post routes, and he gets on you know defensive back's toes pretty fast for a for an unathletic tight end. So it's it's like Quinn said in the presser, and it's it's so true though, man. Sometimes it's more about play speed than test speed, and yeah. Nada just plays faster than he is, and that, you know that might not work in the NFL, but it, it's at least enough to give give him a shot. Yeah, and uh, one thing I want to add real quick, too, is just between Hawkinson, Nada, and Fulgham, I think all three of those guys test or graded on PFF pretty well as run blockers, too. So, I mean, it seems like they're sticking to their word and really trying to improve the run game no matter what position it is. 
Yeah, and you get you guys bring up you know tape speed over over measurement speed, and immediately everyone who's listening is just like, ah, no, tease Tabor, tease Tabor, tease Tabor. But I mean, you also have to consider this is a seventh round pick, not a second round pick. Um, yeah, you you can take that sort of risk this deep in the draft, and it's not going to hurt your franchise like a like a and he pick would. Also, doesn't play cornerback. <laughs> he also doesn't play cornerback, so speed isn't quite necessarily as important, but it it yeah. it does factor in. Um, let's move to UDFAs, and then we're going to talk overall picture. Um, where the lines are at and going into the future. But uh, as I teased before, Brett's got some info on these guys. Um, he, he actually, I don't know if you, you guaranteed it, but you feel pretty comfortable that at least one of these guys is going to make the team and maybe even make an impact in 2019. Who are these yeah. mystery men? So the um, Malik Carney, the, the edge from North Carolina, yeah, I I did. It, I know it's the day after the draft, but I did already guarantee that he makes the final fifty-three man roster as it stands right now. Now, listen, there's going to be guys that get cut that could be better players, and they might decide, you know what, we don't really want to develop a guy. We'll just take a guy already already ready for us. Mm-hmm. That aside, I think he has a legitimate shot to make the fifty-three man roster. Um, Carney was, you know, he's another, I guess, victim of poor testing. Um. I honestly think with his production in college, he would have gone a lot higher, but he, he definitely had a bad combine or pro day, whatever it was. Um, but, man, this guy can play. He's, he's pretty much the exact same size as Devin Kennard and does a lot of the same things, but I kind of feel like he does it at a higher level. I know you're comparing like college to, to NFL, but he, he graded really well for us. He earned an 88.5 overall grade last year before he got hurt, which was uh, – I mean, that's – that's solid, as you know. So, yeah, um, I showed you a couple clips of him pulling spin moves. Yes, if you love <laughs> spin moves, you are going to love Malik Carney because, I mean, just he just looks like Jonathan Freeney out there. It'll make for or not Freeney, Brian sorry. Burns, not Jonathan Freeney. <laughs> and what? Yeah. Is, yes, it'll make you feel a little bit better about not taking Brian Burns. <laughs> yes, realistically, I think he's a guy that could back up, you know, Devin Kennard and that Jack linebacker spot this year. Okay. Okay. And I, I feel like we have to talk about Ryan Pope since he essentially made national news Schefter dropping a bomb that the Lions gave him $145,000 guaranteed, which is, I mean, almost unheard of for an UDFA. Like if you're giving him that much, you either are certain he's going to make the team or you're outbidding other teams. And in this case, it might be both. Mm-hmm. What, what, what do you have on, on Pope from uh, the offensive tackle out of San Diego State? Well, he... So anytime like you know you're you're throwing that kind of money at a at a UDFA, I think there's definitely some element of they're they're outbidding somebody. Right. They had the cap space to spare, so like the 145k guaranteed, it's not really any sweat off their back sure. if he doesn't work out. I did watch the guy before the draft, so um, you know it's not exactly good. I don't think his tape is like good anything to to really write home about. He has some good games, some very good reps. I think his 2017 tape's a little bit better than than last year, but this is a guy. I mean, if you're looking for a project swing tackle, you know, to be a good depth in your team, I can't think of a better guy. Six seven, three twenty, and I'm pretty sure he tested really well um, as, a, as a very good athlete. So I think you know he's really raw around the edges, but you know, if you get the right coaching in there, that's a guy who could turn into something. You know, as as a depth type of player, I don't I don't think he projects as a starter. Yeah. Well, and I mean. I think one thing that shocked a lot of people is that the Lions didn't go offensive line at any point in this draft. So the fact that they they kind of put a little investment into this guy, the Lions do need offensive tackle depth. I, I think that much is clear. They don't really have a guy 
to, to back up Decker or, or to back up Wagner that they can fully rely upon. So while everyone was talking, getting a right guard in this draft, I think getting some offensive line, offensive tackle depth makes a lot of sense there too. No faith in Tyrell Crosby, man. We'll see. Well, we'll this see. could guys, this could be why though, the, why, why they gave them the money they need. If they're going to possibly move Crosby to guard, they need a backup tackle. I just, I don't think that's happening. I feel like that's a completely fan driven narrative. Quinn just said it though. A, he didn't. Well, no, he he said that, you know, everyone is going to get tested everywhere to see where they can play, including. He, spe- he specifically he mentioned Crosby at right guard, though. No, well, some he, he was specifically asked about Crosby at right guard, and he okay. said, "Yeah, Crosby, we're going to try him out everywhere, just like we do everywhere else. Everyone else." Yeah, yeah, that's what well, he said. I mean, that's year, so I wouldn't take a whole lot from that either. Yeah. That's fair. I think I'm holding on to it because right when they drafted Crosby, I immediately hit send tweet. This is TJ. <laughs> this is TJ Lang's replacement, and everybody jumped on me like, "No, he's a tackle." I'm like, "No, this is TJ Lang's replacement." So, I mean, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, he's definitely young enough at this point in his career where they could certainly try it and maybe find straight gold there. But, um, all right, let's 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 expand things out. Let's talk about the Detroit Lions roster as it is. How are you guys feeling about it? Where are the biggest strengths? Where are the biggest weaknesses? Is this team a team that you think can compete in 2019, or is it they still going to need a year or two? Um, I know those are some big questions. I'm not asking you to predict whether they're going to win the Super Bowl or give me a record or anything like that, but just how are you feeling right now about this team? Are, are they headed in the right direction? Yeah, playoffs. I mean, it feels that way. <laughs> Alex says playoffs. <laughs> I mean, that's uh, the unfortunate reality for the whole staff, though, is that's kind of like the the floor, right? Where, where they got to get to this year. Doesn't it feel that way? I think they have to have at least a, I, I was going to say a winning record. They need to show market improvement. They, they can't have stinker of a games like they had early in the season and, and yeah. later, later in the season too, really. Um, yeah. Context is always important, but like, sure. I mean, if, if we're just going to have to answer the question now before like months before the season even starts, I would say, yeah, like, at least get to the wild card, man. Just, just show me something. Do you, do you think they're capable yeah. of it? I I'm drinking the cooler. I'm drinking the Kool Aid right now. I get yeah. I mean, I think I think we're capable. Yeah, I don't. It's if you look at their, we kind of touched on this earlier, but the whole direction of the offseason I thought was well founded. Mm-hmm. The two biggest areas they needed to improve, in my opinion, were pass rush and pass coverage. So they go out and they sign the top. Pass rusher available. They sign a you know a really really good cover corner and Justin Coleman, you know, and they invest some more resources into other secondary play, players, whether the draft or you know like a bargain for agent guy like Melvin, who's who's played well in the past. I feel like they really improved their secondary and Flowers. What they everyone probably wanted two pass rushers. I think you can you can only do so much in one off season. So I think adding Flowers to the mix is going to be a huge help for this team. So I think the defense gets a lot better. Yeah, that's what yeah. I was going to say too. The defense feels really good where it's at right now, and they could probably still use a playmaker or two. But um, outside of maybe your, your, I know PFF has a lot of concerns about Jared Davis, uh, but but it's very, also very clear that the Lions love Jared Davis, and and maybe that second outside corner spots or maybe the two weaknesses of this team. Otherwise, I think they're really good across the board, and that's kind of scary to say out loud considering how mediocre they were for at least the first half of last season yeah i can't believe we got the best corner in the draft in the fifth round guys <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
But yeah, I, I, offensively speaking, I think it's more of a, a question mark. It's clear where this team's goal is offensively is is to kind of be that more balanced team, and they 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 definitely took strides into becoming that this offseason. Again, right guard sticks out as the biggest flaw in this team, but otherwise, again, maybe maybe they need a little bit better receivers. Um, but otherwise I'm, I'm, I'm kind of with Reno. I'm starting to drink the Kool-Aid a little bit. And I certainly think playoffs is, is a possibility with the way the roster is set up right now. Hey, if Jeremy's drinking the Kool-Aid, we're winning the Super Bowl. then. <laughs> there we go. There we go. I think that's a good point to end the podcast on. Uh, Brett, do you have anything to plug from PFF that Lions fans should be interested in right now? Yeah. Like if you, if you want to know about all these, you know, players, we just drafted and signed UDFAs intimately. Go get our draft guide. It's super cheap. If you message me on Twitter, I can probably even hook you up with a coupon code or something. Ooh. It's like really cheap and it has so much information. It's, I, I want to say it's like 600 pages or something of information. I mean, it's just, it's amazing. Um, I know confirm. even, even a lot of the guys in draft Twitter use it just as a quick reference. Yeah. So like this, this is something that has a ton of value. Um, you know, outside of just our board too, you can look at all this advanced statistics and data sets on all these guys. That's at PFF underscore Brett on Twitter. If you want to get yourself a discount, maybe uh, Alex, do you have anything to promote? Maybe we have your draft grades already up on uh, on Sunday. So if you guys are looking for that scroll to Sunday's articles, um, anything that we should be looking, looking forward to coming up out of you. Uh, yeah, so probably starting Monday because today is going to be crazy. I got Avengers and Game of Thrones. Uh, starting Monday, I'll probably start watching some more film. Um, hopefully get some profiles out there. Um, not sure who I'm going to start with, but yeah, be on the lookout for some awesome draft profile articles. On and Friday make sure you're, you're yeah, and make sure you're also following him on Twitter because I know you're always posting little clips, little snippets that kind of give you a clue into that. That's Alex underscore Reno on Twitter. Thank you both for joining us, guys. That was a really, really good discussion. We're all feeling really good now because it's after the draft and that's how you're supposed to feel. (laughs) So thank you guys for joining us and thank you guys for listening. We'll be back here again next week. See ya, Starside. Thank you for listening to the Pride Detroit POD cast. We are on iTunes and Stitcher. Our main theme was produced by Brian Shepard. You can find him on Twitter and on SoundCloud at I am Brian Shepard. I A M B R I A N S H E P A R D. Thanks a lot to him. Check out his stuff. He's been great. He gave us Victory Monday. So go check him out. That's I am Brian Shepard. And thank you for everyone who keeps listening and makes us one of the greatest Lions podcasts possible. Y'all are awesome. See you, Star Side.